Hello and welcome back to the Utes podcast. This week we're joined by another interview guest. Uh, this week we're st- talking about the pressures of starting your own business in the creative industry uh, and the obstacles young black fashion designers face with Samuel Addy, owner of a Ilana, a fashion mentorship that supports black fashion designers. Is that correct? So we're a store for luxury black fashion brands and a platform for fashion designers to gain expertise. So from a consumer perspective, they can shop with the different brands. From a fashion designer's perspective, they can join our community and receive free consulting online. So thank you for joining us uh, today, Samuel. So Ilana, how long has it been a thing for? We launched in November 2020. We started working on it in June 2020, so just after COVID hit. So I know you went to UAL for university. When you went to UAL, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do when you left school? Was there a reason why you chose UAL? Yeah, so um, as young as I can remember, my dad said that if I ever aspired to make it in the creative arts industry, um, Central St. Martins is the place to go. So I always had my eyes set on going there. And it's interesting because I studied at London College of Communication, so I did a diploma there. Um, and then um, decided to take a gap year. So whilst I was doing this, I was also attending a gallery which done courses, um, creative courses called 198 Contemporary Arts and Learning. And then, yeah, we ended up setting up a social enterprise called Hustlebox, which we trained young people in garment printing skills and clothing. And we had a clothing brand as well. And yeah, we partnered with Central St. Martins that enabled me to do the short course there. And then from there, that led on to me doing my degree there. But yeah, whilst I was studying, I was working on a social enterprise, building that and developing that. Um, so I always knew that once I graduated, I wanted to continue focusing on developing my own thing, um, building my own business. And that's what I did. So the gallery that you mentioned, how did you come across that? Was it through university or was it something you found? No, it was actually through a friend of mine. So, um, so she worked for an organisation called ACAPS, which was based in Brixton. Um, she wanted me to paint a mural in Brixton because I was into art. Um, however, that fell through. But she said, you know what, just come through to her organisation. She'll see what other opportunities she can put me in touch with. And then when I connected with her, um, she mentioned 198 to me, ended up going down there, connected with the yeah, tutors there. And then, yeah, the rest was history. Got signed up onto their course. So they were doing Photoshop and illustration courses. And it was a really cool space. So I just got stuck in, started volunteering on the exhibitions that they did they also do exhibitions as well as um, courses. Not, not too long after I joined, we set up Hustlebox. So the, the partnership with Hustlebox with Central St. Martins, was that sort of through the connection you already had with UAL? No, so that was actually um, a 198 and UAL connection. So UAL reached out to 198 um, to help exhibit some of their exhibitions for some of their students. Um, and they developed a relationship. And then obviously, once we started up the social enterprise, they were quite interested to see how they could partner with us. So they ended up partnering with us to launch our fashion show or to do a fashion show to launch our pop-up shop, should I say. So, um, yeah, so we launched a pop-up shop, which was initially meant to be two weeks. As a result of the success of it, we ended up extending it for six years. So um, we were in Brixton Village, we were selling clothing and we we're offering a garment printing skills while we're often garment printing as a service as well. I just want to touch on there about your university experience a little bit more. You mentioned that you went to London College of Communication and then later to Central St. Martin. They've got quite very different courses, I would say. Is there anything really that you've noticed 
been the difference between studying at London College of Communication and Central St Martins and how has that really impacted your career so far? One of the things that we've noticed with young students already is there's not really much awareness of what a creative course might involve. Yeah. So if you're studying a graphic design course, you pick one and a place that you want to study rather than what the course actually involves. Yeah, I think for me it was interesting because, um, so I had an unconventional journey when it came to education. So um, I left school with no GCSEs, which put me in a situation where there was quite a limited choice of courses I could do. So I ended up having to do a business course, which was a GMBQ course, which wasn't the course I initially wanted to do. I wanted to do an art and design course, but I wasn't qualified to initially get on that course. Basically, after doing the GMBQ course, working hard at it, I was not able to now do the initial course I wanted to do, which was art and design. And then, yeah, after um, working, so I did a BTEC one year. Um, they were encouraging me to go on to do a national diploma, which would have been two years. So they initially projected that uh, it would take four years for me to get into uni. And from my perspective, I was like, that's too long. Um, so essentially after doing a BTEC, I decided to do an ABC diploma and yeah, it was interesting. It was really intense. Um, the way they work is very different to Central St. Martins. Yeah. I think just like one of the things that I noticed in terms of the differences is that with Central St. Martins, they're very ideas focused, but with London College of Communication, they were more kind of the final outcome is what you should be focusing on. So it's just, I think their approaches to work and their methodology is quite different in that regard. For your creative career now, which university do you think had the greatest influence and set you up in the best way for your career now? You mentioned that London College of Communication is very outcome focused, but Central St. Martins gives you much more room to explore your ideas and to think conceptually. Yeah, um, I would say, to be honest, both had an impact. You know, I think obviously like, um, one of the things I learned from London College of Communication is that you have to work like twice as hard. Do you know what I mean? And you have to really apply yourself. Um, with Central St. Martins, you're surrounded by great talent. You know, you're, you're surrounded by the best creatives in the world. And yeah, I think just with the kind of like, obviously I did an advertising pathway. So even just in terms of like, just ensuring that you're focusing on what the client wants and the outcome of the clients and then pushing your ideas really helped me apply that to the things that I was doing moving forward. But yeah, I would say equally both played a major impact. I couldn't say one had more of an influence than the other, um, but I loved my time at CSM. Um, I felt that if I was to do it again, I would have um, made more of an effort to just kind of like get plugged into the communities a lot more and to connect with a lot more people. I felt that because my attention was focused between the social enterprise as well as finishing my degree, I didn't really necessarily get as much time to um, benefit from the opportunities that UAL have. Benefit from the opportunities that UAL have. That's something that everyone said so far that we've had on as a guest. They just wish they'd made the most of all the opportunities that are available to them while they're there. And I guess it's that sort of tricky situation that while you're there, you've got so much going on. You're trying to finish Absolutely. your degree. Obviously, you've got your social enterprise as well. There's just loads going on. So making that time to really grab hold of everything is, is really important, but it's a difficult line to tread. What skill did you feel like you learned the most from university? Were there any particular resources that you used? Yeah, I think, yeah, the idea, just pushing, pushing my ideas, do you know what I mean? Ensuring that, you know, the ideas that I work on are good ideas. 
yeah, I think I think that's what really stood out to me. And I didn't really just translate that into um, creative work, but I translated that into life in general. So I just felt that just in terms of anything that I had to work on or anything that I desire to work on, I have to ensure that the ideas are strong and they make sense. But yeah, I think, and then execution as well. I think one of the things that um, being on the advertising course taught me is executing quickly. You know, um, there isn't much time for you to dwell on ideas. You know, you have to churn out ideas and execute them as quickly as possible to see whether they're good or not. And that was something that CSM definitely taught me. You know, um, we would have like briefs that lasted like two, three days and then we'll have to critique it. You know, and that was intense at the time, but it really helped me get into the mindset of just executing. When you get an idea, execute it. Don't waste time. Don't dwell on it. Don't sit on it. Just get out there and see whether it works or not. So when you said you had really short briefs, were there any times that you had really long briefs to contrast what that might be like? No, not really. I think the, the longest brief we had was when we had the opportunity to put out together our final, final year portfolio. So we had an opportunity to work on, I think it was six different projects. And then we had to choose out the different briefs we wanted to work on towards our final portfolio. But I think that was the most time we got, but our briefs tend to be quite short. I noticed okay. that when we were studying, they were like three to four months. Sometimes you'd be working on a project. And then when you go into the commercial world, obviously a three to four month turnaround on a project is is the dream. It never, ever happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So do you feel like that set you up better for the commercial world when you left, that you've got that? Definitely. Experience? Absolutely. I think just in terms of like, I execute quite quickly and a lot of things that I do because of that. You know, I'm someone I, I don't waste time. You know, within six months, we launched the platform. I developed the item in June. It took us four months to build the platform. Um, so I executed quite quickly. At the time, my team was like, you know, wow, we're moving quite quickly on this. But from my perspective, it was like, now's the time. Um, there's no time to waste. So, yeah, I think definitely just moving forward, that mindset of, when you have an idea, execute it, get it out there and then see whether you can refine and develop it from there really, really did help me moving forward. Was there anything when you were on the discussed around the reasons why they were so short, any sort of commercial reasoning? Yeah, because that's how it worked in the advertising world. You know, it was that was the kind of nature of the job. Like you had to turn out ideas quickly and you had to execute them. My tutor at the time was like, when, you come, when you're brainstorming ideas, just come up with 10 ideas and then from the list of 10, work your way down. And then once you've whittled it down, execute. So it was like, yeah, that mindset of getting ideas out, doing the work and then getting the feedback really was ingrained in me during that period. For like as creatives, especially, there's such yeah. a tendency to... You get your first idea and it's Absolutely. like the whole kill your darling thing. You don't want to let any ideas get lost by the wayside. Yeah. So you hold on to them. We should be exploring all avenues. So that's, that's really good advice. Just before we finish on the university section, were there any external resources that you used for advice or guidance when you were a student? Or would you say it was mainly through university? No, I didn't really use any external, to be honest. Yeah, I can't recall using any external. I did get involved in a widening participation um, project, which was the avenue that I came through. And then I became a student ambassador. But those are the only really external activities I got involved in at the time. I think from my perspective, it was just about getting the degree done as quickly as possible and getting it out of the way. 
I didn't really get an opportunity to plug in to as many opportunities as I should have. I'm um, looking back on it. When you left university and you were running your social enterprise, just talk us through what that experience was like. Was it a big jump from university to the commercial world or was it more of a slight ease in because you'd already had that experience working with it while you were at uni? Yeah, it was an ease in. Um, it just enabled me to now focus on it full time once I left. And we had the support of the gallery as well. You know, they helped us with fundraising. Um, and, you know, we got a business development officer in place. So there was, you know, things that there was a structure to it that enabled me to now just ease in. I then ended up setting up a design business. So that was quite tricky, you know, trying to find, you know, clients, working with different people, ensuring that, you know, I manage my own time effectively. Um, so, yeah, I think just kind of like obviously that having that foundation really helped me. That's something that we've noticed as well is when people have a sort of work experience or a networking opportunity while they're at uni, that it really helps them to sort of ease into the creative world a bit, a bit easier. So from your experience of the social enterprise, how did you end up setting up Alana? Was it just the next step for you? Yeah, so um, so I was with one, 198 and um, Hustle for 10 years, so I ended up joining their board. And whilst I was on their board, I identified a need. Um, so essentially, we started redeveloping our space, which was two floors. And I was like, in as much as we're developing this great space, how do people access it? And I thought to myself, it would be great if there was some sort of marketplace platform where um, entrepreneurs can access co-working space locally, quickly and affordably. So I came up with the concept of DESK, which was an acronym that standed up, standing for Developing Entrepreneurial Services and Communities. So I launched that in 2018, no, 2019, sorry. And then obviously after a year of working on that, COVID hit and nobody's accessing co-working space. So essentially that business died overnight. And then, yeah, like I was just on Twitter and then someone tweeted and said, you know what, they would love to come across um, a black fast fashion brand they can spend their coin with. And I responded and said, that's a great idea, but what would be even better is a marketplace with different black brands. And I said, actually, that's a good idea. You know, I might build it. And someone responded and said, build it. Thought about it for a day. And then, yeah, um, reached out to my co-founder and we got started. So Alana was birthed out of a need that we identified. Um, it wasn't something on our radar at the time. Naturally speaking, I'm quite entrepreneurial. Um, and I'm a people's person at heart. So I think those two combined definitely helped me to, yeah, be the entrepreneur and business person that I am. Yeah, definitely. If you're setting up your own business, especially in the creative industry, you really need that business mindset to have an understanding of all the, mostly the boring bits that don't come with the fun creative Absolutely. side. Notice that we're freelancers mainly, that they've said things like taxes or like the financial side of things or the accountancy side has been really surprising. Um, yeah. So anything that you've experienced that was a surprise or has taught you not a hard lesson, but it's been a learning curve. The first time I had to do my self-assessment, um, that was a bit tricky. Um, I still find it tricky at times, but now I outsource it to an accountant, so they just help me with that. But at the time, doing it myself, it was quite difficult for me to get my head around. Dealing with HMRC in general, you know, I think you need a certain level of wisdom and understanding it just about, you know, business to be able to understand do you know what i mean what they require of you what you need keeping track of receipts as well i think as a creative 
that in itself can be a bit tricky, you know, having to keep track of your accounts and just how you're spending money and being able to justify it to an accountant or to an external person, how you're spending your money. Those kinds of things are always tricky. But yeah, I think more so than anything, dealing with clients. I think nothing prepares you for dealing with clients firsthand um, because dealing with clients is people, isn't it? You know, and people are unpredictable. People have issues. People have, you know, problems when it comes to paying you. Like there's just so many things that, you know, you're not anticipating or you can't foresee that happen during the entrepreneurial journey. So every day is a learning curve in itself. Yeah, I think we're all familiar with the chasing down the invoice. Absolutely. You know, people, are, yeah, like people and finding reliable people. I think even within the creative industry, finding reliable people is difficult. You know, you can come across people that have great work, but they're not reliable. You know, so, yeah, I think just one of the trickiest things about being in the creative industry is the people you work with. So how do you navigate those issues? If someone's being unreliable, if a client isn't paying on time, you can't get hold of them. What would be your sort of typical response with that? I've never had to use an external party or third party to chase down, but that would essentially be the route that I would go down if necessary, depending on how much the invoice was. But yeah, I tend to chase it. I make sure that I get an address quite early on or the de- the necessary details from them. So yeah, those are the ways that I attempt to mitigate it, to be honest. But um, finding, reliable, f- finding reliable people to work with, I think is always going to be a challenge. You know, people will say that they're reliable, but when it comes down to it, things happen, life happens, and then they're not as reliable as you hoped them to be, hoped that they would be. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that that one I haven't solved, to be honest. I think it's just one of those things where you just have to ensure that whoever you work with has a track record, a reliable track record of producing results and quality results. Yeah, working with good clients is really important. I mean, I don't think people realise how important it is until you start working with them. Good clients are worth their weight in gold. So the the idea for the fashion mentorship, where did that come from? How did that uh, come about making that into a reality yeah so um as i was dwelling on that idea um bearing in mind the inspiration is my mother she was an aspiring fashion designer she aspired to make it in the fashion industry but she couldn't um so we set up the company in honor of her memory to ensure that aspiring fashion designers have a better chance of succeeding in the industry and yeah that that's what took the most time kind of freshen out, you know. Um, so my co-founder really helped us refine the idea because um, she's a fashion designer. We, had, we were able to get an idea of what the pain points are from her perspective so that we can ensure that designers are able to benefit from our platform. Those pain points that you mentioned, can, what were they that she, she'd noticed as a designer? Yeah, so not necessarily having a sounding board. So when you're working on your designs, um, a lot of fashion designers work in isolation. A lot of them are self-taught. So as a result of that, they don't really know what they don't know. Do you know what I mean? They don't know if their designs are great. They don't know if they're, you know, producing quality work at times. You know, so to be able to have someone that they can now off, that they can offload their ideas to, that can offer feedback, can be beneficial to their process and their output. And it also connects them with other designers. You know, I think a lot of creatives in general tend to work in silos. So we don't really tend to be part of communities unless we're intentional about it. So having that access to a network of other fashion designers, not just locally, but wherever they are, 
and was quite beneficial. Do you know what I mean? And we thought it would be quite beneficial to a designer. So those two things were the main pain points that we identified. Um, and then also after we launched, I think one of the things that um, running a business teaches you quite early on is that when you solve one problem, it reveals other problems. When we started taking people through the process, because it's quite new, we identified that a lot of them ain't aware of what they need to do during the process. That enabled us to think of the membership and say, okay, all right, with the membership, we need to provide additional resources for those that are very kind of base level designers that don't know what they need to do, that can, that can receive that one-to-one -one support through video tutorials, through, you know, additional resources. And that's why we launched a membership as well. So is it almost like a tiered membership? So if you don't know much about the fashion industry at all, you can come in at a really baseline level. Yeah, so there's a basic plan and there's a plus plan. So the basic plan goes for £2.50 um, and a plus plan goes for £5. And we kept it that price because we didn't want to outprice ourselves out of the market. Um, upon research, we identified that within West Africa, they're only paying that like £2 for Netflix. So we couldn't obviously come in at a, a cost that is significantly higher than that. So yeah, so for us, you know, um, there is two tiers and the prices is, is reflective of the designers that we're trying to reach. So is it a global reach as well, not just UK based? Yes. So we're aiming for global. So most of our designers are based in Africa. We do have um, a number of designers based in India on the platform as well. Um, but yeah, our community is open to all. So we're trying to equip designers regardless of where they are and give them, yeah, the necessary expertise to excel in the fashion industry. So working in sort of West Africa and India, have you noticed any sort of barriers for people succeeding from those areas? Absolutely. I think just even in the terms of the way they communicate is very different to how we do in the West. You know, um, we're used to emails, they're used to WhatsApp. You know, so a lot of the business that they conduct on ground is via WhatsApp or via messaging. So as a result of that, you know, it's very hands-on. You know, you have to speak to them directly. You have to keep in touch with them. You have to build that relationship. Yeah, from a business perspective, it can be quite time-consuming. So with that difference in culture and obviously trying to manage you know, so many WhatsApps and so many time um specific things how do you manage with all those bits and pieces um to be honest we've stuck to emails <laughs> yeah. we did stick to emails um that's still something we're trying to figure out to be honest with you um i'm trying to bring someone on that would um help with that aspect of things um because yeah it's it's quite tricky i think we haven't mastered it yet um we're still open to learning and identifying ways that we can help. I think one of the ways that we are going to be doing it moving forward is um, applying WhatsApp business. You know, with WhatsApp business, it allows you to provide automated messages and things of that nature. So that's something that we're going to look to incorporate moving forward, more automation within the business to help us as we scale. So I just wanted to touch a little bit more on the reason behind Ilana working with black fashion designers in particular. We've been doing quite a lot of research into that sort of industry and how black fashion designers are quite underrepresented in the industry as a whole. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that and if that's part of the reason why Ilana works so much with black designers to uplift them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. When you look in the fashion industry, the people that are 
um, not getting the most opportunity are those from under-reserved communities, you know, underserved communities, um, black and ethnic minorities. Even just in terms of research, you know, those that are participating in London Fashion Week or Paris Fashion Week or New York Fashion Week is quite a significant, yeah, it's quite, you know, um, low, do you know what I mean? Like in terms of like the amount of designers that are represented from those backgrounds. So yeah, that was our focus. We felt that that was where the most need was. Um, and that's our mission, helping designers, regardless of their background, receive the necessary skills and expertise to scale, start and scale their fashion brands. You know, so that's our focus. You know, we want to help designers um, to start and scale their fashion brands. And we identify that the people that are in most need of that are black designers. Is there any sort of obstacles that you've noticed that Ilana is working to address? Is it just giving a platform that is, like I said earlier, just a fast fashion platform that is more focused on rather than just sort of churning designs out quickly and cheaply, is actually about prioritising that these are designs that are well thought out, they're well crafted, and the prices reflect that? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the things we've identified is that just in the rate in which they produce their collections is a lot slower because of the lack of access to capital. A lot of the designers on ground, they are struggling to access the capital to keep their brands going, um, to keep, you know, um, the designs fresh. Um, so when they do produce something, it's produced from a place of one need and two, because they really believe in their product. You know, another thing that we've identified is just market perception. A lot of people don't really see designers based in West Africa or on the African continent to the same standard as designers in the West. So even just in terms of perceptions, in terms of quality and luxury clothing, we don't think of, oh, well, Africans have quality clothing or Africans are able to produce quality clothing. You know, those that are familiar with um, West African brands know the quality that is produced there and know why it's worth investing in the continent. But people outside of that, you know, there is a perception that you're not getting the best quality. So just changing market perception can be a bit of a challenge as well. So with Alana, what would a, if a designer was signing up to a platform and selling their clothes through the platform, what would sort of be the experience that they could expect? Yeah, um, for us, like I said, there's two tiers to the platform. So there's a store aspect and there's the community aspect. Um, so from the store perspective, we're quite particular on the brands that we stock because we want to ensure that they have the infrastructure and logistics to be able to sell globally. And that requires them having to be operating for a certain amount of time, being familiar with what it means to produce collections, having, you know, quality control procedures in place. Um, so there is a criteria when it comes to selling on our store. Um, the community, there is an element of selling at the moment. However, for version two, we're currently looking at adding potentially, you know, a bespoke element to it where um, people that browse, so we're going to make the community more visible, but users that browse the community will be able to essentially, you know, hopefully request a made-to-order service. So if they come across a designer that they really like and, you know, they love their work, they'll be able to request a made-to-order, yeah, kind of service through the platform. So that's kind of our thoughts moving forward. Um, but at the moment, yeah, the expectation is that they'll be able to sell to Western markets. Um, you know, a lot of them struggle to penetrate into the West and into European markets. So we're helping them to be able to do that. So it's really about 
giving fashion designers that maybe don't have access to an audience or a community to grow their business, just really removing those barriers and getting people just connected, really. Absolutely. So is there any advice, really, for an independent fashion designer that you could give to just build their network and to get out and meet people if they don't necessarily have the resources, perhaps like university or higher education, or like you just mentioned, if they're not in the Western world, if they're based in a different location? Join Alana. I have a platform like Alana. Um, I would say produce great work as well. You know, I think um, one of the things that we um, sometimes forget is the importance of producing quality work. You know, it's better that you produce two or three pieces that are quality than produce 10 pieces that are subpar or mediocre. Um, so just focus on producing quality work and that will recognize, people will recognize you through that. You know, once you're recognized, people will now recommend you based on the work that you produce. So, yeah, focus on the output of the work um, and get plugged into communities, networks that are online. There's so many networks online that, you know, a designer that is working in isolation or self-talk can plug into to um, really kind of grow their reach and get more resources. Yeah, I mean, like you said earlier, like just from a conversation on Twitter, sparked an entire business idea for you absolutely yeah i mean twitter social media is a great place to meet people and join these little pockets of communities that are on there i thought it was really interesting just then about mentioning the focus on quality and how doing one or two pieces that are amazing quality is better than just churning out any um of like subpar quality do you feel like the biz the industry as a whole the fashion industry is shifting in that sort of more sustainable way of making work or would you feel like absolutely i think just typically speaking people don't necessarily care about just clothing anymore they care about how it's made what it's produced whether it's produced ethically you know there's a lot of conversation around sustainability you know um, a lot of people care about the sustainable aspect of what's being produced um so definitely and i feel that's a conversation that's only going to get more intense as things um, develop, you know, the reality is that we're on the tip of the iceberg when it comes to that, you know, there's so many things that can be done in relation to sustainability, you know, so definitely I feel that there is more of a focus, you know, especially when you're seeing larger brands or larger corporations treat their workers so badly and so poorly, you know, there's a lack of, you know, um, equal distribution when it comes to wealth. There's just so, it touches so many areas and so many avenues. So, Definitely, I feel that sustainability is a conversation that is yet to stay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a huge backlash, isn't there, about big brands. Um, I don't know if we can name them, but big brands that obviously have issues about where do they get their products made yeah. in developing countries where the wages aren't, they can be lower, the quality of the clothing especially. But like you mentioned earlier, the higher the quality, the longer product will last you. And then Absolutely. the more money you can charge as a creative, which is fantastic. I've just got a couple more questions, really. Just sort of about the day-to-day of Alana, really. How do you manage sort of the running of the business and your own creative output? Or do you just channel all of that creative output into the business now? Yeah, I channel it all into the business. Um the main things that I tend to work on is building our community, bringing more awareness to the brand and the platform. Um, 
So yeah, one of the things that I'm really looking to do, especially this year, is build out our team, you know, and get more hands and more people involved. Um, but from my perspective, I think, yeah, just everything's channeled into the business. You know, my life revolves around Alana, you know, really kind of just growing that. Um, so yeah, like I just kind of see it as life, you know, <laughs> I don't really see it as work-life balance. I just see it as life in general, you know, and I think when you really love what you do, you just see it as life, you know, there isn't any kind of like reservations or hostility towards what you're doing. You know, you just love what you do so much that you always do it and find ways that you can improve on what you're doing. Do you feel like you struggle to hold a work-life balance or is that something that you've managed to strike a line with or have you kind of just made your piece of that work is life and life is work? Absolutely. I don't think, yeah. as a, I think as an entrepreneur, you never switch off. The reality is that your life is your work, you know? Um, and yeah, I think people that, especially in the beginning stages, people that feel that you can separate the two are deceiving themselves. And again, it's dependent on what you want to achieve. You know, um, what you see as success, you know, if you're trying to grow the next big thing, you have to dedicate most of your time to it. There's no way around it. So I think, yeah, if you have the perspective of, you know what, let me just separate the two, maybe you want to grow something that's not, you know, global or that has a global impact. But if you're trying to grow something and scale something to a global level, you have to be prepared to put in the work and make the sacrifices necessary. So I guess it is just about evaluating where you want to go. Absolutely. And managing the workload that it will take you to get there. So if you want to go global, it's going to be a hell of a lot of work to get to that stage. So you Absolutely. kind of know what you're signing up for. Definitely. Definitely. The reality is that even just on an entrepreneurial journey, it takes roughly about 10, 10 years to become a success. You know, are you willing to put in those 10 years? You know, and a lot of people ain't willing to count the cost involved in starting a business they see it as you know uh, it's glamorous you know you're going to have your name in lights but there is a real cost to things you know so it's about counting the cost and seeing whether you're willing to pay the price to run a business a successful business as opposed to just something that just provides you money and you know just keep going yeah it's really about working out priorities can I get this done what's the detriment to me what's the benefit to the business I think one of the main things we've noticed especially for freelancers and people that have started their own business is the issue of burnout yeah. and doing too much too quickly or just piling loads of work on yourself can lead to burnout fairly quickly is that something that you've ever experienced or do you feel like the, the sort of mindset that you have of, I know what I'm signing up for. I know that if I can just get through this, I'll be on path of success. That helps keep it away for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have experienced burnout. I experienced burnout in 21, um, 2021, after not too long after we launched. But um, I think from that experience, I was able to understand that it's important to listen to our bodies. You know, our bodies tend to tell us when something is wrong, you know, or when we're not taking care of it. Um, that could be through sleepless nights, through fatigue, through different methods, do you know what I mean? But I think it's very important as creatives to listen to your body and pay attention to the signs of burnout. You know, burnout is not an overnight thing. It's, it tends to be a gradual process. Um, so yeah, it's important for us to pay attention to the signs before we get there and ensure that we're putting certain systems and things in place to ensure that we don't end up in burnout. So those systems that you mentioned for dealing with burnout, 
What systems help you manage burnout and keep it away? What helps you get over that? Prioritising sleep. I think for me, I didn't really prioritise sleep for a long time. You know, and after experiencing burnout, I just realised the importance of sleep. Yeah, and getting enough sleep. You know, I don't sleep for seven, eight hours. I sleep probably for about five, six. But I ensure that I get my sleep. You know, um, I wake up early as well um, so that I can get more out of the day. Um, and work to the times that I'm at my best. I think that's another thing as well. Um, it's about identifying and being self-aware as a creative. What times do you work best in the day? Are you more of a morning person? Are you more of an evening person? You know, I'm working to that time frame to ensure that you're having the best output. Yeah, I think working to your strengths and knowing where those strengths might be is really key to getting, not only getting stuff done, but getting stuff done efficiently. So you're avoiding Absolutely. that horrible burnout feeling of where you're just sat at your desk and nothing's coming out. It feels a bit like you're yeah. banging the ketchup bottle, trying yeah. to get the last sauce out. So just going forward then really, are there any tips you could give to young creatives or people who are considering the fashion industry that they could take away about just managing their day-to-day and working working to their best really yeah have a vision bigger than yourself i think that's one of the things that has helped me the most you know as a creative it's important that you're inspired and you're pushing the needle forward towards a particular goal yeah it's great to be a creative you know to have you know um, to make cool stuff you know to work on ideas that you're passionate about but have a vision that is bigger than yourself at the end of the day what do you want to be remembered for you know, um, that's something that is important that you keep in the back of your mind, your why. Why are you doing what you do um, as a creative, you know? And it has to be a vision that is is bigger than yourself because that's what will get you up in the mornings where you struggle to get up. That's what would help you in the times when it's difficult. Yeah, that I mean, that Northern Star effect that you've just said there. Northern Star, I think it's North Star. North Star, um, yeah. Yeah, Northern <laughs> So your North Star that you've just mentioned there is um, really key. That just even for communicating your business yeah. going forward really helps to tackle those bigger questions like how why is my business different? Why am I doing this? Just having that why. So definitely. Yeah, super helpful. So I'm just going to throw the questions open to Daniel and Archie who are waiting in the wings with loads of questions for Q and A. Um, so you mentioned earlier, way at the start of uh, this recording, about your dad mentioning that um, if you want to start a career as a creative, the best place to go is to uni. Um, so I'm wondering exactly. specifically Central Saint Martin's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So do you, yeah. would would you say that that is still like the right course for somebody to get into the creative industry, or is there now um, different ways that people can go? Absolutely, I would say that there's. Plenty of different ways that people yeah. go, can go. There's no one size that fits all. Um, but I do believe going to a university like Central St. Martins does help. Do you know what I mean? It gets your foot in the door. It gets people mm-hmm. to actually um, take you seriously. You know, there's a lot of people that I would meet and they'll be like, oh, what you need to go to Central St. Martins. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You must be good. You know, that, that perspective and the reputation that a place like CSM has, um, can be absolutely beneficial to your career. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it gets your foot in the door. It gets you recognised. 
So yeah, I would say going to a, a place like CSN definitely helps, but it's not the only method or avenue to make it in a creative industry. Sure, especially when you've got that community as well, because like even leaving uni, I imagine that you bump into people and you have that that community there that um, can help. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and then so you mentioned as well that you um, that the way you took to get to St. Martin's was a non-standard route, so you didn't get the GCSEs to go A levels. So, like, is there any advice for a young creative which isn't going to take uh, that route um yeah i think for me i had an end goal in mind though you know yeah. university was my end goal and i i kind of took the avenue that i took because i didn't want to go with the career advice that i received which was four years to get to uni i felt that was too long so i was prepared to apply myself and work harder if necessary to ensure that i get to uni quicker you know um and there was at one point as uh, what i felt to mention when i get to, got to london college of communication where they were saying you know what it might be worth you doing a diploma no so after my diploma it might be worth doing a foundation before i now apply to do a degree and i was like no i don't really want to do a foundation that's why i did the diploma so you know being willing to stick to your guns and say actually no i'm prepared to do it the way i want to do it can be beneficial in the long term you know, as a result of that, I left, took the gap here. Um, and then that's when we started our puzzle box. Um, so the reality is that if I hadn't made those choices and decisions, I wouldn't have gone to CSM. They're all my questions. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Utes podcast. As usual, Samuel's social links will be found in the description as well as a link to the Alana website. And we'll see you again next week.